Hello, welcome to Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers with A-Leaf ISD. Uh, thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, we're going to talk about leadership, and specifically we're going to talk about leadership of a school district, and even more specifically than that, we're going to talk about leadership coming from a woman's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> that was hard for you to get out. It was, no, I, I wasn't sure I was going to say woman or female. <laughs> I wasn't going to say girl. <laughs> you did, yes. Or from, a, from a girl's perspective, no. I was going to say that. <laughs> it was a girl's idea, though. So It was. It Hang was. Out. It was. So, uh Anyway, I got three three ladies here that are uh, in extremely uh, in leadership roles that are extremely impressive, and I'm gonna let you'll you'll figure that out once you hear them start speaking. But uh, today we want I wanted to talk about we want to talk about leadership in our schools, and then specifically for those uh, young ladies, those females that are in the in the business right now who may aspire to to sit in this chair, maybe learn from these three. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves and just start talking a little bit about their trip as to where they, how they got to where they are. But at the end of this this episode, I hope people listening, particularly women uh, who aspire to do this, have a little bit of insight and maybe are empowered a little bit more than they were when they when, before they listened to it. So with that, I'm going to ask Martha. Thank you, HD, for inviting us. I think that when you brought the topic up, it made me think about how often we don't talk about this topic. And I think it's very important because we do have young men and young women who, when the time comes, uh, we have to have people prepared to fill our shoes as superintendent of schools. And I would hate for any student today, any child of any age, to think that this is a profession that should and could only be filled by a male, perhaps because they've only been in public ed with um, male superintendents and not seen that there are a growing number of us. Um, so that's certainly something that I think is a, is a great topic. So I appreciate one of your students bringing it forward to you and for you asking a diverse group of women here to talk to you about our leadership. So yes, my name is Martha Salazar Zamora, and I am a recurring superintendent, um, <laughs> which is, you know, interesting. Um, I was a superintendent over 17 years ago in a rural community in Keensville, Texas, and I absolutely had no idea the role at that time. And there were very few people and nobody near me that looked like me in many ways. There were not female superintendents and there were certainly even fewer Hispanic female superintendents. I sadly tell the story when I speak to people, though, that looking now, you know, going into the future, 17 years later, 17 plus, the fact that that still can be the case. We have more women, but not enough by numbers, and um, still very few minority or Hispanic women in this role. So I think the more people hear about success stories or challenges or, if anything, the love we have for our job, because I don't think you could have picked any three women who are just totally in for what we do, love the fact um, that we are privileged to get to do this amazing job every day. I consider it a privilege. So being able to talk about it is it's a blessing, and um, I, I appreciate you asking me to be here. Absolutely. Thank you. And same here. I'm <laughs> honored to be here and amongst the two other women that are here today, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be able to make a difference through education. Um, as Dr. Salazar Zamora just alluded to, um, I love this I love this profession, but it wasn't a position that I aspired to, nor was it a position that I'd seen females nor uh, African-American or Hispanic females or males in. And so it wasn't uh, it was one of those things where uh, I truly believe that you have to do a good job where you are. And so I'm starting my third superintendency, my 11th year. And again, in each position, it was um, I, I call it a God thing. But in my first position, I went from kindergartner 
to superintendent in a small town called Cold Spring. Yeah. <laughs> Oker is a very small town. Uh, yeah. And then I also got to serve as a superintendent in a mid-sized school that was Lufkin. And then now I'm, I'm in Aldine. Uh, but um, I think it's important for little girls and little guys to know that um, you you can lead from any capacity. And there are all kinds of leaders and that come in all kinds of different um uh, I, I hate to say just different people, but people of different races yeah, can yeah. aspire and be in different positions. Kelly? So Kelly Moulton, I'm currently the superintendent in Galveston, Texas. And when I think about you know where I am, I tell the kids all the time, I've been in school literally my entire life. <laughs> right. You know, I, I have more years in school than any of you, so don't <laughs> think you can pull anything over on me or surprise me with anything. Because you've tried um, them all, right? That's right. I've tried them all or I've seen them all. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and my story comes from having parents that were in education, and the very last thing I ever wanted to be was an educator. Um, but it found me. And the love of just working with people day in and day out in all different facets of their life really continue to inspire me to move on. Um, this is my second superintendency. I was in a rural panhandle Texas town called Hereford. And so those of you that are downstairs in the ag department, you, you <laughs> might know that that is a, a, yeah. a kind of cow. Um, and so it's it's interesting moving literally diagonally across the state to Galveston and to understand that uh, many of the needs and perspectives are the same, but regionally we the state is so huge. Um, and then I, I think about what about just our nation and our planet in terms of education and the perspectives that we bring. And I think that's probably where I'm most excited to be on this panel today is that we not only have a female perspective, but we also have our unique experience perspective. And we talk all the time about kids wanting to customize the education for them, keep it from being so standard. And I think that's our story to share, is that we have customized our careers. And that's really important as we work to inspire others that want to stay in education and want to be in education. When you, when you first started out, did any of you see yourself moving into not necessarily superintendency, but just leadership? So I I actually did know I wanted to serve in a leadership capacity, but not having role models who looked like me, right. I never dreamed it would be the superintendent. It actually took the superintendent that was retiring from that district to tell me, this is what you're going to do. And I actually turned the job down three times. I didn't interview for it. It was offered to me by the board. This was many years ago. But what was interesting is finally when a loved one, my husband, said, what is it that you're afraid of? What is it that you're, what, that you're fearful of? And I think I just, I was realistic and said, I'm afraid of failure. And one thing that he reminded me is that that would be my biggest demise. If you have the skill set and you have the passion, which he knew I did, don't be afraid to fail. And then he reminded me that men often or rarely are. And that might be why there are fewer women in this career. And so as I continued, superintendent in Keensville, came to the greater Houston area, served Spring ISD, my first larger district experience, and then had a passion for working in large urban district in Houston ISD, then to Round Rock, and now currently superintendent in Tomball. Every one of those I have now been able to look at and find women in different roles and try to mentor them and talk to them about where do you see yourself in five years? That's what I see as my leadership legacy, to be able to find people, female or female uh, minority, either group, 
and encourage them to follow their passion. And if it is the superintendency, then so be it. Um, I was very fortunate that today, one of my, not a female, but one of my uh, chief officers um, left today to become a superintendent for his very first time. And it excited me to know that, that that growth was there. Although not a female, I'm excited to see that happen. But when I think about leadership legacies, it's really about giving, paying forward and helping people as others help me. Now, mine were men that, that, right. that yeah. really supported well, me. Like you're all shaking your heads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All it, mine were men. Um, were they it, men of color? Or? No, no, no. That's the weird part. I actually yeah. wrote about this before because they were all Anglo men. Um, they've just always um, seen something. And I hate to say it that way, but it's the truth. No. We can be yeah. honest and transparent please, here. Please. Um, just I've never aspired again to a position. Others have seen leadership. And, you know, when you're a teacher and you're willing to do those extra duties, it pays off. I was department chair. I was team leader. I was a cheer sponsor. I was site-based chair and, you know, just serving in every different capacity to make a difference for children. And then others would see and ask, okay, have you considered this? Have you considered that? Have you considered becoming an AP? And no, had not considered it. But anyway, long story short, though, going back to what we were saying earlier, all of my, um, when I was entering the superintendency the first time, I was actually preparing to become the high school principal. And one of my mentors, Dr. Bob Smith, who was at Sam Houston and um, others, they were like, have you considered being a superintendent? I'm like, no, I just got that. <laughs> you know, when you, you have to take an elective class. And so I said, OK, I just got it to be prepared in Why the not? future, in the future. And so very thankful for all my um, my uh, is it Anglo or is it white? What is the appropriate word to say? White Anglo. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My HD like. Yeah, but no. HD. <laughs> <laughs> but I just had great mentors growing up through the leadership journey or whatever. And so like my other two colleagues here, I've been very intentional about uh, building leadership capacity and those who work with me and encouraging them to fly. I'm excited because in every position, whoever has served as an assistant soup or deputy soup under me, they're not superintendent. So I'm pretty good at it. So I'm giving back what was given to me. So I'm going to bring a whole different perspective. Um, you're except Anglo. that Are you Anglo or white? I, I am, okay. I am a white female. I am white. Yes. Uh, so let me share with you that um, one thing I heard from my colleagues here, and that I subscribe to, is hard work, mm-hmm. hard work, hard right. work. And so I think back. Um, so as a high school cheerleader, I was <laughs> most involved. You know, hardest worker, ASB cabinet, hardest worker. Um, soror- I was not a cheerleader. Uh, I will I go was. on record. Right. No, um, I, I am now. I feel like I, in no. many cases, <laughs> um, you know, college sorority. You know, most involved, mm-hmm. hardest worker. Um, the the hard work came into play, and. I knew fairly early in my instructional career that I I was going to go back to school. I mean, it was three years, and I went back and got my master's. This is where reality hit me differently than, than my colleagues. I applied for nine years for an assistant principal position without ever oh, getting it. Ooh, wow. I sat in a classroom, and every summer I would apply. And so my mentorship actually came from kind of a back end wow. because my superintendent at the time said, you know, you might need to move out to move up. And we've heard that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it certainly was true. One year I moved out and I moved up. Um, (laughs) Perhaps for me, it wasn't about staying in the, thinking about staying in the classroom and not recognizing my talent. It was, as uh, Dr. Samore said, the idea that maybe I was fearful of trying a new place and uh, creating new relationships or having to start new relationships and not recognizing that I had that in me. But once I did, then it was pretty easy to continue moving. I use that story a lot with, with young educators. And I had a great 
teacher at the time who sat down with me and 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 just a, a good girlfriend mentor and said, you know, the best person doesn't always get the job. It's about the fit, and you have to find where that fit is for you because you're not going to be happy if you're in a position that you think you should have, but nobody else does. Mm. Mm-hmm. The percent of females in our profession compared to the percent of males in the education profession, not just a superintendency. Well, in education, there's 70, many 30, more, no, many more women. women that's right. what I'm saying. Yeah. 70, 30, 30, maybe. You go to any yeah. classroom, you go to any elementary, and if you find a, a male, male teacher or a male administrator, right. it's very rare. And so it's almost like this reverse sieve exactly. as you go, that's, that's as you go up. Correct. So, yeah, the, and, and, yeah, the roles could be reversed. It's probably 70, 30 or 75, mm-hmm. 25 men that are in the, in the superintendency role. So as you, regardless of the pathway, you know, whether you, whatever your, your pathway was or whoever your mentor was, did you notice at any given time that your gender was hurting you or your race was hurting you or did, did that ever come to, to mind that you're having over? So my first superintendency was in a district that was predominantly Hispanic. So I looked like the community. They had had a minority, a Hispanic superintendent in the past, but male. Um, so really from that perspective, no, I never felt that it hindered me. There were times later in my career where I I perhaps questioned that, but I think I had to look back to what Kelly just said, that if you think it's the right time or the right place, you might be the only one who thinks that. And so you have to kind of, I'm a person of great faith, so you have to have a lot of faith mm-hmm. in the right time, the right door will open, and you'll you'll know that. I was really very fortunate many times just doing a really good job at what I did, mm-hmm. the next door open, the next door open, the next door open. And that was a blessing um, because I continued to rise, not because I was female, not because I was Hispanic. I wasn't a cheerleader, ladies. So, um, <laughs> it was because I just be- I believed in yeah. digging in, working hard and, and making it happen. I am the first female and the first Hispanic superintendent in Tomball ISD. I'm very mm-hmm. proud of of that fact. Um, I actually was, I think, the first member of, of the cabinet to be in a minority group. And so um, I have never felt that that has been an issue um, fully supported by my board and the community. And I don't see that. I'm not to say others may or may not. Um, I know that can exist, but I've been pretty fortunate. I really believe, though, if you, if you show people what you who you are, what you believe in, and what you can do, everything else will be set aside. I agree. I think um, in Cold Spring, Lufkin, and now in Aldine, um, it's been noted I'm the first African-American female to serve in the capacity. And honestly, I don't even like focusing on it. In every uh, press release, first African-American, first African-American. No, I'm the best. Right. Your label (laughs) is, yeah. I actually have had that question during two (laughs) interviews. And they've been that you're selected, you'll be the first African-American. And my response is, it's not my desire to be the first African-American, but it is my desire to be the best. And so I think once, um, uh, as Kelly and uh, my colleagues have both said, once they see your work ethic and your love for children, people get away from the color. Uh, and the and the race or the gender, um, I guess the the hardest part is getting beyond some of my own um, notions. There are times when I'm in a meeting or in a room, and where, uh, whereas my male colleagues they may uh, just be free to speak. Uh, sometimes, especially in my earlier years, I would be more reserved right. and just look listen and learn. And then after a while, I realized they don't know what they're talking about either. So I might as well talk as well. We'll None of us will know what we're talking about. Not necessarily in superintendency, but I know that I was up for a position once in a building where I was, assistant principal job. And um, I wanted to be just like everybody else that was 
there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can work as hard as you. I mm-hmm. can move things around. I can be in all the games. I can do the hard, you know, make the hard calls. And that's not what they wanted. They wanted a feminine perspective. And so I think it's also important right. for us to understand that we bring something to the table as women. And each of us have that, regardless of what it is. Right. Our experiences create that for us. And so I don't want to diminish that. But I know that getting, especially getting in the principalship and superintendency, it was like, so you're going to come play golf? Well, you know you what? Did. I do I, play yes, golf. I'm, I'm and and I, in the last I two scrambles, no, we do not. <laughs> last two scrambles, you know, you I'm out know, hitting the I'm ball. I'm so proud of you. Yes. Else. You can yeah. represent uh, the rest so, of us. Yes. <laughs> but but it, whatever it is, you insert yourself um Right. You know your stuff. Mm-hmm. You sure. know your stuff. Sure. So how do you create the capacity for relationship so that you can use other superintendents as your colleagues and mentors? I mean, we have we have this body of work that we do, and we're all working really, really hard to make our school districts exemplary. But how do you create that? Because you guys know, HD, you know, when you go home at the end of the day, there is nobody else in your district that does what you do. No. It can sure. be rather lonely. And so you have to create other opportunities to develop relationships with your colleagues. And that just happened to be one way for me. Thad Royer at Friendswood is a great example of just that opportunity to meet each other out in space. Um, You know, we attend a variety of activities, and because we're in the same district, run into each other. And it is that type of relationship where you can walk up to your friend. Latanya and Mm -hmm. I, you know, we we have run a couple of different activities together. We're just talking about riding someplace later this week. When you have that relationship, it helps to uh, create that space where you know you're doing Doing good work, you have supporters on your side, cheerleaders, Cheers. as it were, um, <laughs> ready to make sure that that you can continue to move forward. And again, it's a it's a customized experience. It is. What I was going to say, though, when we think about those who are aspiring, the one thing when I'm mentoring uh, young ladies, uh, when gender really comes across, men will take a chance. You know, in general, they will apply for the position and everything won't have to just be lined up perfectly. However, um, when I'm talking to our uh, aspiring young ladies, oh, when my son gets to this age or they're starting pre-K or when this happens or when that happens, and it's never going to be a perfect time. Right. And so um, and I always tell them you're not going to get 100 percent of the jobs that you don't apply for. And so they're waiting for everything to be perfect. And so what I would say, um, the main difference is we just got to sometimes be prayerful. Mm -hmm. And in the event that it's a job that you think that you can um, make a difference in, just take a chance after, of course, having a conversation with your spouses. So I think we consider our spouses more than our spouses consider us in many ways. No offense. Mm -hmm. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I think that's a powerful statement. That's quite true, honestly. Um, My dissertation was on women and Mm -hmm. decision making. And actually, Dr. Gaffney was in that study. (laughs) But I found something something rather interesting is that um, men superintendents, however, make decisions because of the fear impact. Yep. Wow. And women are actually fearless because they're more willing to go back and look at what is the policy? What, is, what does the data say about the decision making? I'm not going to make or not make because I'm afraid what someone's going to say or my money or my status or my mm-hmm. position. Women are more grounded. And so actually that's that. It's interesting it, because yeah, when I started the statement of being fearful, perhaps yeah. at the beginning, you're saying, which I think is very true. Once you're there, 
I know if it's right for kids, if it's right for the district, if it's right, I'm going to do that and we'll deal with mm-hmm. what might happen. So you just said something really powerful, too. It was fearful for you, but fearless when you're thinking about somebody else. True. And so, again, you know, you've true. got this female perspective of we're going to take care of others. Correct. And when you're Make grounded it okay. in it, yes, <laughs> when you're grounded in that, then you're just going to go full speed. Well, right, the, right. This is just the, the analogy is, is a guy will never, ever stop and ask for directions. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll true. Dr- right? We'll drive for hours in the wrong direction as long as we have to admit that we had to ask for directions. I think in decision-making, I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk about this. When I make decisions, it's it's much more not from fear of failure. It's just if I talk loud enough and I sound like I know what I'm talking about, then people are more apt to believe. You know, to, And I actually have always believed you until you told me that. <laughs> <laughs> now we know. <laughs> if I raise my voice, yes. then everything I'm saying How do you know all those numbers? How do you know all those things, well, those, Just I say do. it with conviction <laughs> I do and it. loud. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, most I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but, I have him on record. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I, going in terms of the decision making, I've always found in times of crisis, mm-hmm. like major crisis, and and you got to make a split decision decision at that time or a, you know split second decision. I think women are much more thoughtful. And to be quite blunt with you, it's because you've had to do that in most cases, whether it's in your family or growing up. Whereas guys have. We've made them, and sometimes we suffer consequences, and sometimes we don't. And that's why I sit in a Region 4 superintendent meeting, and I listen to people like me spout off. And then someone, a woman, will ask a question. And typically the question that they ask or the comment they make is much more geared towards the topic we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You don't say. Did y'all notice that? Pay attention to that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just, but I think that's in some cases how we're wired. Mm -hmm. You know, we're wired differently. I'm interested in this going back to the, and I think, Martha, you made this comment earlier about in your experience, you haven't found either your ethnicity or your your gender to be an overarching problem. If you were talking, as you talk to young ladies now, is that something worthwhile mentioning that, hey, every once in a while along this path, your race or your gender or your looks are going to? Um, I think people need to be cognizant of it if it may, you know, may happen, may occur, but I don't think that it should be a driver for them. One of the things, and I know each ladies can and likely will talk about professional organizations. The mm-hmm. reason I want to go there mm-hmm. is because it's one of the things that um, whether they're young women still in high school figuring out where to go after this, or they're already current teachers wanting to be administrators or administrators aspiring to be superintendents. I'm very strategic. You know, we can be a part of so many different organizations, but we only have so much time, right? Very limited. So currently I serve the state of Texas as the president of TALIS, the Texas Association of Latino School Administrators, and most recently Secretary of Fast Growth Coalition, because that affects the district that I'm superintendent of, Tomball ISD. But also, probably one of my favorite organizations is the Texas Women's School Executives. T- mm-hmm. Not TCWC. We don't use that term T-C-W-C. anymore. But, you know, it really. TCWC. It is not. The founders will be upset with you. Texas Women. Really, an organization that I have to brag on this. A few of us presented at the last conference, and I believe it was LaTanya. If not, I'm going to give her the credit. Because somebody said, let's start a group me. And that sounds so 
simple. Yeah. But it's an app, you know, the GroupMe app. We all have them for different things. And at that point, we were having a session, just mm-hmm. women superintendents at this women's conference. But in the room, it was just women. I can't tell you. Now, you know, we've had highs and lows in our in our positions, things that have happened, questions about, most recently, a question about how to handle technology, perhaps. And somebody in that group will come to the aid and help. It is like a 24-7 mm-hmm. friend group that knows the challenges, the highs, the immense highs, and then sometimes the struggles when you're a female superintendent. And it has nothing to do with a minority group or not. Right. It's just the fact that I have, in addition to the friends that I currently have, another group of people at the tip of my fingers just to send out um, prayers for this, thoughts for that, financial this or that, whatever it might be. And so when I think of the support, whether it's a young lady trying to figure out where she wants to go to college and what she wants to major in, whether it's that teacher, budding administrator, or the administrator who hasn't found their way, I would say lean to people that you can connect with that you feel can be that support for you. Because I know we could all sit here and talk about the many mentors that helped us, you know, throughout our years. And it's never, never too early to be mentored. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we say iron sharpens iron. And so we are an army of women who um, are just focused because, like Kelly was saying earlier, it's a lonely position. It's very lonely. Um, going back to your original question, though, I would uh, encourage little girls or a little um, anyone who's from a minority group, per se, actually anybody, just to work hard yeah. in general. Um, I feel sometimes because of the numbers, the sheer numbers, there are only uh, four African-American, female African-American superintendents in the entire state. My grandmother would say, oh, can I say the scripture says? Please, please, please. <laughs> to much is given, much yeah. is required. Yeah. And so... Um, I feel a heavy burden per se, and it's not a burden because I love it. I love what I get to do, but to do a good job so that others will have the opportunity to do a good job because you've seen it before. Yeah. If you, if someone doesn't do well, oh, you can't hire that woman again. She can't because she represents every other. She represents every yeah. woman, yeah. so yeah. every good yeah. one represents the good group, and every right. bad one represents that group or whatever. So, but I do encourage all of us to do a good job because it opens doors for others as well. So Absolutely. I like what you said there, and in, in terms of the path that you. See that as a woman will inspire and set forward a path for others. We had at that same meeting, we were mm-hmm. all on the mm-hmm. panel at, um, had the opportunity to listen to somebody say, you know, never discount yourself. And I mean that literally. Mm-hmm. Do not accept a lower salary as a woman superintendent, because what you do is you set that bar for all the other Mm -hmm. women behind you. Mm -hmm. You may want to be conciliatory and just, oh, well, I'm just happy to have the job. But remember that you've got all those women lined up behind you that will take that role at some point. Set the path for them. Be bold about that. Be confident in the skills that you have and understand that you are worth it. You are making those 1,400 decisions a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, Because men will be. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And where we don't ask for ourselves. I have a board member um, just recently got off the board, but when he was leaving, he he was like, you are the epitome of girl power. Do not allow anybody to set your worth. Go for it. I'm proud of you. And and those are really <laughs> great comments um, uh, to hear because we everybody, yeah. everyone should speak for themselves. If you've worked hard, Speak about it. I had a friend tell me one time, a woman should never accept less unless they're willing to say, what is it that you don't want for me to do in this job that the male before me was doing? Mm-hmm. Don't don't settle. I got a friend of mine that says, you know, don't don't settle mm-hmm. in anything. Don't don't settle for something. Your your um, communities you, you guys work in are different. 
All right. I mean, you got, I mean, I'm familiar with Tom Ball and I would, you know, Tom, while Tom Ball is every day becoming more and more a diverse community for a long time, I wouldn't say it's the bastion of diversity. Right. Uh, Aldine at one time was was not nearly as diverse as it is. Right. It's very similar to A-Leaf. And then Galveston, you guys go through changes every time there's a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> Galveston <laughs> is the first Texas town of diversity. That's if right. you think about it, it was, oh. it was the San Francisco before yep. 1900. Before the and storm. then when the big storm came, yep. then, then things changed. But it has this incredibly rich history with the African-American community in Texas. Um, wages were the same for whites and blacks along the longshore. And so people would come there in order to have um, Mm -hmm. increased wages. And and so it just kind of settled and built up. And then, you know, this history of the railroad and shipping and everything right there on this little 23-square-mile island. (laughs) And it really continues to be very diverse, although we're moving, like the rest of the state, to a more Latino population. But it's fun to see that. It's fun for people to say... I don't want to say fun. Maybe it's just inspiring for people to say it is our diversity that makes a difference. But then you have this white woman come in to be the superintendent. And I actually I've mentioned this before, but um, an individual who is now on the city council was like, uh, not another, you know, yeah, um, and yeah. and she, and she's become quite a good friend. But the whole idea is that you know, every time you step into a role, male, female, Latino, right. black, white, you still have to prove yourself and you still have to make people understand you're there for the right reasons. And um, as diverse as Galveston is, that's great. Everyone's going to have the same challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's a majority in that town. And it the history of it just makes it something worth repeating. And I feel really happy to be able to share that and to be part of that at this part in my career. Do you feel like you have to overcome anything in your communities? We've talked about the education in a silo so far, mm-hmm. but what about when you get out into the community? Or, uh, and I know all three of you have are involved at the state level, do you find yourself having to kind of push your way through guys to get <laughs> to be heard, myself included? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. But I might. I, I really don't. I mean, I have a pretty loud voice. I was. I. I I'm a that child that I always say never underestimate any child because I grew up severely profoundly deaf and had an ossicular chain implant at the age of 17. So um, I, I was that, that GT sped child, right? And so my mom, my mantra has always been, you have to do what everybody does, but better. Mm-hmm. And so I like to instill that in every child, male, female, black, white, brown, you know, every child, so that. Um, they can achieve whatever it is their ultimate um, achievement's going to be. So I really, I think my personality, I'm, I'm a little loud. My board would tell you I'm very um, competitive. I, I, I don't consider it competitive. I consider it being, I like to be first. I guess that is competitive. Right? <laughs> but, yeah, wow. but in the end, I don't, I don't really, um, I'm like LaTanya, though. I'll, cal- I'll calculate what I say and when to say it. Um, but I have a loud voice and I'm not afraid to use it. And so I, I think I know the men in the organizations I'm a part of certainly understand that. Um, they would probably tell you Talis would not be where it is today if I didn't say, come on, guys, let's get it together. That's true. But together we, you know, we built this organization we're really proud of. So I don't really I can't really say I personally felt that. No, no, I haven't felt anything. I think I get so um, driven by the work because um, I would say that if it wasn't for education, that you wouldn't be interviewing me because I wouldn't be a superintendent because I was plagued by so much poverty and so much um, just family situations that weren't ideal. And so I see our communities, especially the one that I represent, 
more so I want our kids, our students, you know, to graduate and be able to live their dreams. And the only way to do that is through the work that I do each day. So I'm a little bit more focused on the work. So I don't do a lot of, of talking because I, I just I just know that had I not had caring uh, leaders and teachers and so on and so forth who were doing the work that I wouldn't be able to live the dream. And so I think I'll look back because even you said I've been a part of several interviews and dissertations. When they ask, how has race impacted you? How has this impacted you? I don't see it going forward because mm-hmm. I'm so focused on the work. Yeah. So I think when I mean, we all mentor aspiring superintendents, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it's in your district or outside. Sure. Whenever I mentor uh, either a female or a, a minority female, in particular, I'm, I'm mentoring an African-American right now. Mm-hmm. That's one of the questions that she asks is, you know, is it going to be more difficult for me because of my skin color or because of my, my gender? If I'm hearing you ladies right, it's not until you get into the seat almost that you realize that, no, there's really not, at least in y'all's experiences. The complication the, is getting into the seat. That's what I'm because saying. Because when you it's, recognize it's, the, the gatekeepers and everyone, correct, correct. I was giving courtesy interviews. My first interview in district was yeah. more or less a courtesy. Yeah. Uh, the Lufkin interview, they told me they just wanted to see who is this little African-American girl. And so it was more or less a courtesy interview. And then even for Aldine, I think I might have been the, you know, you have, they. I guess they have a quota that they try to meet and have. They wanted a diverse candidate pool. And so that's why the work is so important. You got to uh, do more than check the box. You got to right? do more than check Absolutely. the box. You got to be prepared yeah. because right. it may be a courtesy interview, but the conversation changes Correct. when you can talk about the work. Correct. And in Tomball, again, being the first, you know, female mm-hmm. and the first minority, the board did a national search, as we're very familiar with, and down to the second interview, I, the first and second interviews were nine hours. You know, four mm-hmm. hours one night, four hours a second mm-hmm. night with an hour dinner with my spouse. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, and I was the internal, (laughs) I was internal. I was the chief academic (laughs) officer, but let me tell you, I, I applaud them. I've told them they wanted the best person. And I believe after nine hours, either that, or I just out talked the other candidates. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) They just said, forget it. No, truly. Um, I think it's that tenacity and just showing you have to know, like show the value that you bring male, female, any race, um, or ethnic group, just show your value and, and believe in yourself, you know, have that inner strength yeah. to say, I deserve this job. I may not get it, but ultimately I'm going to show you everything I have and what a loss I will be when you don't hire me. So they both mentioned a really great term, not using it by name, but that's a preparation. Mm-hmm. And a piece of advice that I give to uh, young teachers, and I give it to kids too, is you better have your ticket when the train stops at your station. Oh, and like that, that means like that. whether it's you've gone to school and you've got your degree or you've had those experiences, you don't want to be the person left on the train station because you didn't have the ticket to get on. So make sure that you're well prepared. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. means not only doing it formally, but also do your work. Mm-hmm. Research what you want to be able to say and what you want to know. I come from a position of being a a coach and a physical education teacher, early on, that was like your pathway to being an administrator. But in the late 80s, not so much. Um, So I had to go back and really develop myself as a curriculum specialist Mm -hmm. beyond that. I have former principals who will laugh and say, what is that PE teacher doing teaching math for sixth grade tutorials in the morning? Well, that's what I 
did in order to build my background and curriculum. Um, I also did computer science when computer science was a huge beige box, right. you know, and yep. just <laughs> we all left because we had. Yeah, them. it's true. Um, but, you know, you have to put yourself in the position to be the person mm-hmm. that is right for the job when it comes along. And so learning doesn't require you to ask permission to anyone else. You continue to do that. Find what inspires you and continue to pursue it. It's kind of like the, the definition of luck, you know, when operation, uh, yeah. preparation meets opportunity. That's it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you don't want to be left at the station mm-hmm. unprepared. <laughs> Without a ticket. Without a ticket. <laughs> I like that saying. <laughs> Without too. a ticket. Good, you can use it. <laughs> your, Permission uh, granted. Your role's at the state level. So you walk into this Texas Capitol, and it's a bunch, for the most part, a bunch of white guys, mm-hmm. a bunch of wealthy white men. Lawyers, physicians, people who can take six months off and not have to go to work. <laughs> how, how do you see the and, – and there's more and more women becoming a part of that, obviously. But how do you see the superintendent, uh, the female superintendent, having an impact with your opinions and your voices? And and I know all three of you mm-hmm. have relationships with those that, that represent you, and you sit in front of committees and all that. But So I was pretty excited this last week. I, I got to testify at, right. at Senate. And, yes, I'm in Senator Taylor's district, but I got first panel. I don't always get first panel. <laughs> um, it was nice because he knew I had to drive um, back to the coast. Again, the whole idea, first of all, I know more than they know about school education. And... I need to be able to speak confidently about that, and I need to be able to speak with them often about that. And so that means if I'm at a fundraiser or an activity back in district, I'm intentionally going up to my representative or my senator, putting my hand out, reminding them my name, giving them another card, talking about the thing that's most important to me right then, and then promising that I will be there for them. I will be there to work with them and to support them. And that is, that's my intentional entry of of being that strong woman superintendent. But on the back end, they also know that I'm not afraid to contribute to political campaigns. And so when they see my name and my husband's name on that other end, they understand that there's more than just supporting my school. There's the support of everything that builds our community. I would say, again, uh, when I go to Austin and and I go to Washington, too, Mm -hmm. and get a chance to talk with them, it's I know more. And just because they have that seat doesn't mean that they can't learn something new and they can learn that from me. And just, again, make sure my facts are good. Uh, make sure that I'm concise because they don't have a lot of time to listen to just conversation. Mm-hmm. But I um, I guess I'm learning that piece. Uh, I said earlier that um, I get so focused on the work and even part of coming to Aldine and being in Region 4, which is very active, I really wanted to just do the work. Okay, let's see what happens. I don't really have a lot of control. But what I've learned uh, since being in this area, that if you're you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And so <laughs> I hate to say it that okay. way, but it's the truth. And so um, I've been intentional about being more in- involved um, with Texas School Alliance and Texas Urban Council and others all surrounded by men. But yet, welcomed at the table. But just learning so you have your facts and that you can advocate for your district. Because ultimately, I represent the 67,000 students in Aldine who aren't able to go to the Capitol. And so when I go, just learning to, like you said, be intentional about making those connections and letting them know 
how their um, votes and their decisions impact our students. And then I've learned, and it's whether it's fair or not, people want to hear what the Aldine superintendent thinks. So I have, I was thinking I have to thank Dr. Bamberg for that, <laughs> but just being active and being out there, but yet having something to say. And I didn't get first panel. I needed first panel, <laughs> but I did submit written testimony. And so being pushed by colleagues and others to just, I said earlier, to whom much is given, much is required. And the superintendent's role is so important. We can't afford to just see and wait and see what happens. We have to educate them because we know better than they do what's Mm -hmm. best for our our students and our staff. So Tomball had not had a a very rich history of advocacy. Um, I think they've always had a voice, but they haven't perhaps always had um, as much of of an of an agenda when it comes to advocacy. And so we made that a mission and worked together and, you know, created our briefing book and spread it to anybody and everybody, every different uh, event. Um, Definitely, you know, worked together with our our neighboring districts and had some events um, with the help of the neighboring soups. And then also, like all of us, multiple I saw you in Austin one day when I had Mm -hmm. the board there, continue to go with different organizations, continue to either communicate or whatnot. But one thing that I recently did, uh, because of, as I shared with you before this, my concern right now where House Bill 3 might be, um, and all of our legislators for Tomball that right. co-authored the the, ver- the House version, and really the concern of where Tomball falls on this, which currently right now is quite low. And so I called one of those representatives, um, and I don't do that often, like to where I just actually call and say, can you give me a call? I'd like to visit with you. I appreciate the fact that he called me back very quickly. And we had a very candid conversation where my message was, I just need to know what I can tell people, constituents in the future if this is the case, because you co-authored this and it's not going to fare well for our district. I'm not talking about the whole state. I'm talking about your vote and Mm -hmm. your co-authorship of this. And so we had a great dialogue. I shared some information with him. I wrote a letter, shared it with the people that I thought could um, most be impacted by it. Really, I think when I think of having a voice there, you know, three of us sit on the commissioner's cabinet. That's a voice at, at least in Austin to some degree. And then going and visiting with our legislators here, there, always ensuring that they're invited to our district functions, whether they can make it or not, whether it's my state of the district or some event where we can highlight them and, and show that it is a collaborative, as Kelly said. It's not just when I need you, but it's ongoing because we do need to, right. to work together. And so I, rep- I appreciate the work they do. I know it's not easy. But again, we help people get and stay in office. It's been very helpful to see superintendents, particularly women superintendents, get a little bit more engaged and have their voices heard, whether they're on the first panel or the fifth panel. Uh, <laughs> they're just I was, on the panel. I was second, <laughs> but didn't get to many panels that day. <laughs> and if no, if people listening just don't know what we're talking about, when the committee hearings are held, there's usually three or four people on a panel. Mm-hmm. And if you're on the first panel, you get all the questions, and you get a chance to say everything on your mind. <laughs> when you get to the third or fourth panel, everybody's tired, and everything you were going to say has already been said. So <laughs> anyway, nevertheless, the perspectives that are brought and also the demands that are made. I don't think superintendents, male, female, black, white, doesn't matter. Superintendents up until the last, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years really haven't been involved. Haven't been involved. We, we griped a lot. Guys gripe, women gripe. We all griped. <laughs> but we very rarely, we very rarely gave solutions to what we felt were the problems. And we started doing that five, six, seven years ago. And I think it's kind of gained momentum. And now people feel more of a sense of, yeah, I am smarter, like you said, Kelly. I, it's kind of like when you interview for a job with a seven-member board, mm-hmm. yeah. You're the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you don't need to be in the room. <laughs> right. 
If you don't think you are, you darn sure don't need to be in the room. I think there's been a lot of differences made in policy and in perspectives from policymakers because of views from from different people, mm-hmm. just different people speaking their mind. You know, I, every one of us have similar experiences in the profession. You know, I taught and I coached and I kind of did my thing, and we all bring our perspectives. The more we speak from one voice as a as a profession, there's only a thousand or so of us in the state of Texas. And as the, the more we speak from one voice, not one gender, not or multiple genders or multiple races, the more we speak for one voice, the stronger we will be. Mm-hmm. But I also think we cannot bury our head in the sand and act like there's not other things at play. Again, whether it's bias, racism, whatever it is. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's other things at play that some have to overcome. Well, that's funny that you mentioned that because each of us would say, I would... I would put money on it right now. Each of us would say that we would build our cabinets out of diversity that people that tell us truth. Yep, absolutely. We want somebody that's going to tell yep. us not what we want to hear, but what we must hear. And I think that's the role then we play as advocates for our school districts and for education mm-hmm. in general. We have to tell our lawmakers the truth. We have to mm-hmm. let them know how it actually is playing out in the trenches so that they can make their best decisions. Very true. I think we also, many of us, and hopefully all of us, um, truly build our cabinets and our teams from leaders that that lead from the heart. Because I can teach certain things. If you have the passion and the love for what we're doing, the rest we can get there. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, I don't care how talented you are. I don't want you on my cabinet. Yeah. No, that's that's a good... Hire for attitude. Hire, yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's the old HR part? So do we hire people for what they know and we fire them for what they do? (laughs) (laughs) Or don't do. Or don't do. Or don't do. A little bit of both. Simultaneously. Well, we're going to wrap this up. I mean, this... I don't know if y'all have enjoyed it or not, but... I have. (laughs) This is nice. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty... pretty, Everybody that comes in here says, well, this is a pretty cool building. Yeah, it's beautiful. But I I also think that every one of us in this room, as well as our colleagues across the state, Mm -hmm. uh, there is an honest sense of urgency that Mm -hmm. we all feel about putting things in place for kids to to be prepared for when they leave. And uh, I want to thank the three of you for for doing this and, and sharing your concerns and being candid and that's all I know how to do so if it offends people then that's so be it but I appreciate you talking from this perspective Mm -hmm. I have a daughter and so it becomes personal I got a daughter she's an elementary counselor and if she ever wants to do this I would hate to think that I've ever done anything or her gender would play some type of role in preventing her from doing something as great as the three of you But you know what you do well though Um, you said earlier you mentor um um, your female, well, your whole cabinet or whatever, but anyone oh. who's aspiring to the superintendency, mm-hmm. specifically females. Um, one of the things that we uh, we were at a TASMAS conference last summer, and I was serving on this diversity panel, and what could we do to have more diversity and um, upper leadership? And I think that's important. We talk about diversity of perspectives, but looking at making sure that your cabinets are, are diverse and that you're mentoring others and I'd never, ever want to hire anybody because they're this or that, but making sure you have diverse perspectives that are on your cabinet and then encouraging them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want people to just aspire to be on the team with Dr. Goffney. I want them to aspire to do and be and go Better beyond. than Dr. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, Absolutely better and do great things for kids. And so, um, but I, I do admire you for that. And I think you can look at your colleagues and see, are their teams diverse? And mm-hmm. it tells a lot 
Um, and I know it has to reflect the values of the community or whatever, but just giving people a chance right. that you w- wouldn't normally get have a chance. Yeah, totally. I think that's important, too, because too. we have a role. Yes, the board hires and we have gatekeepers in, in the profession, but I think our colleagues could do a lot to help prepare them. And you give... I mean, I've seen you, your people just everywhere, and they, they could be little mini superintendents themselves because you give them the opportunity mm-hmm. to have experiences, and I think that's important as well. Well, I do too, and, I, and it's, it goes back to this whole topic of gender and all that. I, I joke about this, and I think, but if they can't go out and make decisions and do, mm-hmm. then what, what am I paying them for? Right. What, what are they, why are they there, yeah, right? I mean, absolutely. That's why they're there. It's why you're there. It's mm-hmm. why. So, so, HD, I'd like for you to do one thing, though. Sure. If you'll go back to that young lady who at first wasn't yeah. sure if somebody could do, if she could yeah. do the job yeah. um, and make sure she knows that she absolutely can. And hopefully one day she will if that's what she wants. Yes, yeah, she'll mm-hmm. be the first one to listen to this. <laughs> Great. And if she were here today, she'd <laughs> I'd had her over here to meet you. But thank you guys a lot. Thank you. I, thank I, you. I really do appreciate, appreciate it. it. It's Pre- fun. Appreciate, I appreciate you guys making the trip from Galveston and Aldine and Tomball. It was farther than I thought. I know. <laughs> Haley, it is Houston. Haley's, it is Houston. Yeah, that's All true. Right. Well, thank you. This has been Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers, and I hope everyone has a great rest of their day. Thank you. Thank you. This has been an AMP production.